today um, we're going to be back in Daniel. But first I want to start somewhere a little bit different. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesian church, wrote the following to start his final teaching, or at least his final teaching paragraph of the letter. He said these words, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. So what I just read to you is probably something that's pretty familiar to you if you've been in the church for some time or you've been following Jesus for some time. Um, It comes from Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 13 specifically. Now I wanted to read this passage to you this morning uh, because I'm going to be referring back to it as we go through uh, these chapters in Daniel that I'm going to talk about here in a moment. Um, But I, I think it's interesting here that Paul decides to end his letter to the Ephesian church in this way, to kind of key in on the fact that there is spiritual warfare and that our uh, present reality, our battle, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. As we'll see later on, if you take this passage that I just read to you in Ephesians here and think that this is referring to some sort of bad sci-fi movie or fantasy movie uh, and that this isn't really real, Satan already has a leg up on you. We have an opportunity this morning to see a very real example of how the cosmic and spiritual powers are working and how they influence the world around us. And also how we as followers of Christ, should respond. So take your Bibles with me now and turn to chapter 10 in the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 10. That's where we're going to to be beginning this morning. Um, Our text for this morning will actually be two chapters, uh, chapters 10 uh, 10 and 11 here in the book of Daniel. Now, uh, I'm not going to read the entire text, so you can say, thanks, Nick. All right. Uh, We're not going to be reading it all, but I do want you to be in there uh, to look at it so you can actually see what I'm referring to, because I will be referring to some specific places in these two chapters. If you have not already read these chapters uh, prior to now, uh, I encourage you to read them later today in your devotional time or just in in your time here as you're resting on this Lord's Day. Thank you, Skip, by the way. He's gone. Um, As we will soon discover... Daniel chapter 10 is the beginning of the final vision that Daniel records for us. In fact, the next three chapters, 10, 11, and 12, make up one single vision. There's a lot to say, but it's one vision. We're only going to cover the first two chapters. We'll leave chapter 12 for next week, Lord willing. As has been our method for understanding Scripture, much like what I explained last week, We must consider the context of what was written for us in order to understand uh, why Daniel would receive this vision and what it probably meant for him. So uh, I want to show you what I mean by that. I'm going to begin by reading the first three verses here in Daniel chapter 10 because 
as is like every chapter that we see in Daniel, at least the chapters that reveal visions to us, the context is given right at the beginning. I love that about how God does that for us. And so we can see that here in the first three verses here in Daniel chapter 10. So Daniel records, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. So we see here at the beginning of this chapter, Daniel tells us that he's been mourning and fasting for three weeks. And he's in the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia. Now, was this mourning and fasting that Daniel was doing here, was that just a whim? Was he just doing that off the cuff just because he felt like he needed to be doing that on a whim? The answer is, as we're going to see here in a few minutes, the answer is no. He is mourning and fasting for a very specific reason. And the key to understanding what is going on here is looking at what happened during the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. That's the year 537 BC. So recall last week we mentioned that a decree that Cyrus made caused or allowed the uh, Jews, the Jewish exiles, to leave Babylon, to leave Persia, and to go to Jerusalem to begin building the temple and the city. Okay, we read that in Second Chronicles chapter 36, verses 22 through 23. Uh, We also see a similar account of the same event recorded in the book of Ezra, starting with chapter 1. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 4 here in Ezra chapter 1. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. Remember, we studied Jeremiah, and that was what Daniel was reading to see that the end of the exile was coming. To fulfill the, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you, all his people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns, be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides freewill offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. So in response to this decree, many of the Jewish exiles, the first party, started to leave Babylon, started to leave Persia. And they were returning to Jerusalem in order to rebuild the city, to rebuild the temple. Okay? These events, the actual starting, the beginning of the rebuilding of the temple and of the city are recorded for us in Ezra chapter 2 and chapter 3. So I encourage you, if you want to read that, take a look at that and you'll see the history there and the the time period of what's going on here as we're reading Daniel. Later on though, as you'll see in Ezra chapter 4, the Jews begin to experience significant opposition. It's actually a period of time that's extremely discouraging for both uh, Jews in Ju- uh, Judah who were actually there and also for those who were in Babylon. Um, it, the, the work was getting so difficult because they were experiencing both verbal and physical 
opposition to what they were doing. All of their neighbors from all sides were coming and attacking them. And this time would have been about the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, when they were experiencing this opposition. And so all of this would have been on Daniel's mind and the reason for why he's mourning and fasting. So one quick point I want to make here before we move on to the chapter. I think it's interesting, and it's also a challenge for us to notice Daniel's solidarity with his brothers and sisters. When one suffers, we should all sorrow. And when one rejoices, we should all celebrate. We see Paul and the author of Hebrews reflecting these in, the, in those two, uh, in, well, in 1 Corinthians. We see Paul mentioning this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And also the author of Hebrews in chapter 13 says, Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you are also in the body. If anybody knew that God was in control, Daniel knew. And yet he still started to mourn and fast for his people who were going through this difficulty. Imagine being so excited from this end of the exile. The, the 70 years that God had prophesied through Jeremiah was coming to a close. And they were moving into Jerusalem, getting ready to rebuild the temple. How exciting that would be. And they were. They were on fire. Ezra 2 and Ezra 3 show us that. But then the opposition comes. And it looks like God's starting to lose control. And we'll see that's not what's happening. What Daniel was about to experience as a result of his mourning and fasting was a revelation of a great conflict. We see those words used in verse 1 here. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. This conflict is one that involves both the heavenly realm and our physical reality. As we will see, this vision was meant to instruct Daniel and also to encourage him in a time of severe discouragement. So we need to allow God's word to do the same for us today, to instruct us and to encourage us. So we see in verse 2 that Daniel had been mourning for three weeks, a period of 24 days. And as he was walking along the Tigris River, as was in verse 4 there, he is met by a man, but not just any man. Allow me to read his description here in verses 5 through 6 here in Daniel chapter 10. Daniel says, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphrates and around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. So based on this description alone, and also... If you remember what Caleb mentioned earlier in Revelation chapter 1, you might think that this man was God himself. Or at least a Christophany, or a, 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 when a, 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 a view of Christ or an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. As we'll see later on though in verses 10 through 21, I don't think that is what we're seeing right here. I don't think we're seeing God here. This man is almost certainly an angel, if anything, an angel. And probably a cherub, one of the cherubim that were serving God in the throne room, in God's very presence. Now, what makes me say this? Well, Ezekiel 
writes about seeing cherubim in his vision. If you read Ezekiel chapter 1, they have these uh, angels, these angelic beings, have very similar features to what's described here in Daniel. They had the appearance of torches, and their limbs gleamed like burnished bronze. They moved about like flashes of lightning, and their wings produced a mighty sound, like the voice of the Almighty. The important thing here is that, not to specifically focus on who this being is, but that the fact that this being is a reflection of the power and the glory of God. That's what we're seeing here. I mean, and as you saw Jesus in Revelation 1, they are reflecting this same glory, this same power. And what is Daniel's response, as will be our, all of our response if we're ever met with the glory of God? Daniel says in verse 9, Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. Did you catch? He didn't even understand what the words were. All he heard was this sound, the sound of the words, and he fell with his face to the ground. Daniel could not help but fall in the presence of the glory of God. He had just witnessed and experienced nearly the full power of God. The cherub had probably just come from the throne room of God, and it's kind of hard to shake off God's glory, if you ever pick up on that. And, and when we read through about Moses, he, when he came back from being in the presence of God, he had the, his countenance had changed significantly. It's no coincidence that this being was selected to visit Daniel. And to show Daniel God's power and God's authority. This being's appearance reflected the very power of God Almighty. Why was it so important for this being to come and to show this power to Daniel? Well, it was because of what he was about to hear. What he was about to hear would probably shake him to the core if he hadn't first experienced this. Very soon he would hear of a heavenly conflict that is influencing what is happening in our world and what we perceive as our reality. It's so important for him to see and experience the full glory of God in order that he might recognize the power of the one whom he serves. So let me ask you today as we begin diving into this, what is your view of God today? What is your view? Your opinion of God will influence how you read Scripture. And your opinion or your view of Scripture will influence the way you view God. If God is just a Mr. Nice Guy, like society or the world wants to think of him as, or some genie in a bottle where you can just pray and ask for whatever and it'll happen, right? which is why so many are discouraged by God, or feel like they should be discouraged. If God is just a Mr. Nice Guy, and in this example here, then what we're about to hear in verses 10 through 21 would scare us and should scare us. While God is a good God, he is also the all-powerful, almighty God who oversees all things. All things, every detail, as we're going to see here in chapter 11 later on. Daniel needed to be strengthened by this truth. In verse 19, we see the heavenly being tell Daniel to fear not. O man greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong 
and of good courage. Likewise, Paul tells us, as he tells the Ephesians in verse 10, in Ephesians chapter 6, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Like Daniel and like the Ephesians, we must remember the true power of the Almighty God in order that we can hear and understand the message that we're about to get, this difficult message that follows. So that's the first point here. We need to recognize and understand the power and the holiness of God. And in Daniel's case, it was revealed to him in this way. So this, the next point here that I'm going to make covers the next several or the next 10 verses in uh, Daniel chapter 10, verses 10 through 21. And it's this. There is a conflict in the heavens. Spiritual warfare impacts our reality. Allow me to read Daniel chapter 10, verses 10 through 14. This is the angel uh, getting ready to speak to Daniel. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees, meaning Daniel. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you have set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. Does that sound familiar? Remember, that was, those were similar words that Daniel received from Daniel chapter 9 after his prayer. God heard his prayer right at the beginning. And the command was sent for the angel to go to Daniel as soon as he started praying. But he didn't get there right away. Verse 13. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I was left there with the kings of Persia. And came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. Okay, so what is going on here? Verse 13, this angel mentions the prince of the kingdom of Persia. Okay, well, how in the world could a man, uh, a, a, a man like myself, right? A, a man delay an angel to hold him back. This is not an, a man that we're talking about here, that this angel is talking about. Who this angel is talking about, the term behind the prince here, that, ter- that phrase is referring to an evil spirit, a demon, a fallen angel, okay? The prince of the kingdom of Persia. And what we, what we see here, what's revealed here within this title is that this demon was for some reason appointed or assigned to the kingdom of Persia. We don't understand, we don't, at all of, the reason why that demon was assigned to Persia or the, the, what's going on there, we're not entirely, it's not entirely revealed. But we do know that he's assigned to Persia for some reason. And in this case, the reason why, in this particular case, we do know one reason. He was assigned there to delay God's work from happening. Right? We see that this angel, the angel that came to visit Daniel, was delayed by this prince of the kingdom of Persia for 21 days. But then Michael, one of the chief princes, and we see Michael again later on in chapter 12, and then again also in Revelation, 
Michael is one of the chief princes, an archangel, okay, and came to help this other angel. And he was left there and so, that, so this angel could come and, and, and um, meet with Daniel and tell him this vision. So how do we explain this? What do we, how do we come to grips with this? Well, the first thing we have to do is we have to realize that this, that this is real. Uh, this actually happened. But one way we can look at this is when we look and we think about spiritual warfare and spiritual forces, we can tend to give them too much credit. Okay, we need to be careful not to give them too much credit. They are powerful, but not to give them too much credit. And one way we do this is the phrase, Satan made me do it, or the demons made me do it. While Satan is powerful and is behind much that is evil in our world, we should certainly, and, and we should certainly pray for God to frustrate his efforts and their efforts. This approach can give Satan too much credit. Remember, this angel here does not urge Daniel to pray against the prince of the kingdom of Persia. Rather, the proper answer is to recognize and celebrate and remind ourselves of God's awesome power, which is the first thing that we did. Okay? We must remind ourselves of God's awesome power. When evil does its worst, God's strength has been given to us so that we may stand. Remember what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. That is our response to this power that is real. The other way we can respond to this, though, is look at this and say, oh, Satan isn't real. This is just some bad sci-fi movie or fantasy. This isn't real. The point of this chapter is to convince us of the reality that the devil and his forces are very real and very powerful. I didn't say all powerful, but they are very powerful. Okay. And we see how their influence can directly impact the reality that Daniel experienced. In our reality, it happens. Now, Daniel's going to be... Uh, the next thing that Daniel's revealed here is the conflict on earth. The conflict on earth. And I use the phrase wars and rumors of wars because that's exactly what Daniel chapter 11 is. There's a lot going on there. Now, moving on to Daniel chapter 11, we note that this prophecy is for Daniel. Okay, that's The, the point of this is to show Daniel something. Well, what, what is that? Okay. We're going to get to that here in a second. As we look at Daniel chapter 11, and if you've read it before, you'll know what I uh, mean here in a second. Some scholars struggle with believing that this is an actual prophecy, that Daniel 11 is an actual prophecy because of the detail, the, 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 the detail that is recorded and then later fulfilled as we see in history. The fact is, and I, I just find this so amazing, if we go back and just real quick before we get to Daniel 11, we see 10, uh, Daniel chapter 10 verse 21 the angel says that what I will tell you is what is inscribed in the book of truth. All of these things that are going to happen after Daniel's time and even stuff that's going to happen in our future has all been written down. That to me is comforting because God already has it laid out. This angel is just simply revealing to Daniel what God has planned. In, the book, in this book of truth. Now, after reading chapter 11, my, my first time when I read it, I, I, the, the first thing I did was, I, I was like, okay, well, there's a lot going on here. There is a ton that happened. But then when you look at it from the whole scheme of things, it looks like 
well, really nothing really happened. <laughs> I mean, there's, a, there's a, a balance of power that's transferred back and forth. You go from the kingdom of the north to the kingdom of the south. That The power is distributed. This, the political power, it just, man tries to achieve so much, and yet he achieves so little in this whole chapter. And that's what's, that's what's revealed here. Additionally, what we see in this chapter is that there are radical views that rise, I'm sorry, radical Jews that rise up to attempt to advance the kingdom of God using their own efforts. Okay? And those efforts also fail. Okay? So I think that's interesting to note as well. The chapter is important for us because we see that God has control and foreknowledge over all of history, even the very details. In the midst of great spiritual conflict colliding with earthly reality, God is in control and has a plan that will eventually be fulfilled. He has a plan, and it will be fulfilled. Okay, I am not going to go through every single detail here that's in chapter 11. Again, thank you, Nick. Um, we're not going to be going through every single detail. That would take a couple of sermons, maybe four, uh, depending on how, how much detail we wanted to go into. I actually, John Calvin, a great theologian, has a really uh, great um, uh, exposition of this chapter and goes through line by line what prophet all the prophecies in here that were fulfilled in history. I'm just going to give you a few of those here, but uh, it's, it's, it's quite amazing. Okay, so we have the introduction to the vision in the first four verses in Daniel 11. I'm not going to read them to you, but as we see here, the vision begins with a succession of kings, starting with Cyrus. Okay, so this is, the vision is starting right with this reign of Cyrus. Now, Remember last week we talked about the 77s, the 70 weeks, and we, were getting, uh, uns- we weren't satisfied because we didn't know exactly what was going on. Here, this is the beginning of those 77s, and we're going to get some details on what's going on. I think that's neat how God does that for us and for Daniel at this point. So the vision begins with a succession of kings, starting with Cyrus, and then there were three more kings, and then after those three more kings, there was a fourth. That fourth king is, co- is generally recognized as Xerxes the husband of Esther. Remember Esther? Okay. Under Xerxes, the Persian Empire reached its highest point. There, it, it, the Persian Empire had covered most of the known world at that time. It was, he, uh, Xerxes had really achieved a ton. And then he decided to invade Greece, or at least try to invade Greece. And that began a conflict that would ultimately lead to the destruction of the Persian Empire and begin the rise of none other than Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great. Now, Alexander eventually died, and his Greek empire was divided among his four generals, none of whom were related to him, just as what was anticipated here in verses 4 and 5 in Daniel 11. Let me read them for you real quick. And as soon as he had arisen, or as, as soon as he has arisen, meaning Alexander the Great, His kingdom shall be broken and divided toward the four winds of heaven, but not to his posterity, nor according to the authority with which he ruled. For his kingdom shall be plucked up and go to others besides these, meaning the generals that I just mentioned here. Then the king of the south shall be strong, but one of his princes shall be stronger than he and shall rule, and his authority shall be a great authority. So what happened was uh, we have these four kingdoms that split off because of these four generals that take over the, the kingdom after Alexander the Great dies. Two of those four kingdoms that emerged out of Alexander's empire were the Ptolemies 
and the Seleucids. The Ptolemies were based in Egypt, and the Seleucids were based in Syria and Babylonia. Now, in, with respect to Israel, or with respect to Jerusalem specifically, right, the Ptolemies were the army of the south. They were in Egypt. The Seleucids were the army of the north in Syria and Babylonia. So what you see here in the next 15 verses, verses 5 through 20 here in Daniel 11, is the conflict, the continuing conflict between these two empires, the Ptolemies and the Seleucids. And unfortunately for the Jews, they're right in the middle of it. Uh, They don't have the opportunity to sit on the sidelines. So that... So uh, verse 5 actually starts the, what I would consider the kind of the first phase of the history that's, that's recorded here in Daniel 11. Verses 5 through 20 cover the conflict of the kingdoms of the north, the Seleucids, and the Ptolemies, the south, from their establishment in 322 BC all the way to the assassination of Seleucus IV in 175 BC. And as I said earlier, God's people were right in the middle of this caught in the wake of the destruction that was going back and forth from these kingdoms. Now, the interesting thing is that some even sought to take sides. Some of the Jews actually sought to take sides. And that didn't work out either because they thought that one side was right or wrong, but none of that prevailed. The second phase, verses 21 through 35, there is a man that is mostly recorded, or the, the passage here is mostly about a single man. And that man is Antiochus IV, otherwise known as Antiochus Epiphanes. Okay, Greg mentioned him several Sundays ago uh, when we were going through some of the older visions that Daniel had early on in Daniel. Antiochus came in not having been in the royal family. He achieved power through his flattery, through his intrigue. And that exact fact is recorded here in Daniel chapter 11, verse 21. In his place, meaning the king Seleucus IV, shall rise a contemptible person, meaning Antiochus, to whom royal, minist- more, I'm sorry, royal majesty has not been given. He shall come in without warning and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. This man was the worst thing at the time that could have happened to the Jews. Okay? He was awful to the people there. And he was a man of great destruction. Uh, Many times he would go and and try to start fights, start uh, wars. And one time he was met by the Roman Roman soldiers. Uh, As we see, you mentioned, uh, there's mention here of, uh, in uh, verses 21 through uh, 35, that he is met by ships. And those ships are the Roman soldiers. And so as he's, after he's met by them, he's kind of thwarted in his attempt to expand power, to grow power. And so the way he responds is to go back to the people of the Holy Covenant. Because that's what's used, the term used here, the Jews. And he takes his anger out on them. One of the things he does, in a, the abomination that sets up desolation, it's read here, it's a, in verse 31. He put an altar in the temple and sacrificed a pig on that altar, desecrating the temple. That would have been an abomination to the Jews to do that. And he did that. He set up the, a, uh, uh, an idol to Zeus in the Holy of Holies, the holiest place. Okay? 
he desecrated the temple. And that is who we see written about in uh, verses 21 through 35. The third phase, the final phase here, is verses 36 through 45. And that phase is about one who is even greater than Antiochus. And I don't mean in a good way. (laughs) One who's greater than Antiochus. So in verse 36, um, you st- we're still talking about Antiochus. The, the, the vision is probably still talking about him. But as we move on in these verses, there's somewhat of a transition that occurs. Because some of the things that are recorded here are n- not things that Antiochus did specifically. Um, we're going to talk about this a little bit more next Sunday. We're going to talk about some of the things that are mentioned here in this chapter. Because I think... Some of the details here, especially in verses 40 through 45, are details that need to yet happen. There's things that still need to happen in our reality. But what I think we're supposed to get here from this is that this man in the future, whoever this is, is going to come in the spirit and the power of Antiochus. Remember the spiritual warfare that I mentioned earlier. There's influence going on behind the scenes. Okay? We're going to see that here in verses 40 through 45. And I'll talk about a little bit more about that next week. I do think that the man that they're talking about, that, that this angel's talking about here towards the end, is the Antichrist who is to come. In the spirit and the power of Antiochus Epiphanes. He'll be very similar to that man. Okay, so what does all of this mean for Daniel? Why show him all of these details right now? Remember, Daniel needed to be shown that the opposition the Jews were facing in Jerusalem was really only the tip of the iceberg. There would be a great struggle and even suffering for the Jews, for them to live in accordance with God's will and under his authority. The opposition and suffering would come as a result of spiritual forces working to try and thwart the work of God. What were they doing? They were rebuilding the temple. They were rebuilding Jerusalem, doing God's work. And these spiritual forces are rising up the, king, the prince of the kingdom of Persia, and, we'll, and I didn't cover it here, but in Daniel 10 it talks about the prince of the kingdom of Greece. There are spiritual forces rising up to try to thwart God's efforts. However, we should be encouraged because even though there would be great suffering, God's plan would not be frustrated. The angel wrote this out to show him this was all part of God's plan. This is in the book of truth. God's plan would not be frustrated and God would see it to fulfillment in his timing for his purposes. So what does this mean for us? What can we take away? That brings us to my last point here. And that is, and we're going to find out here in Daniel 11, we do have an assignment. Our assignment is to believe, to stand firm, to teach, and to pray. Believe, stand firm, teach, and pray. Where am I getting this from? Go back in Daniel chapter 11, beginning with verse 32. This angel says, And he shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. Meaning, the he there is Antiochus. Shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. But the people who know their God, who believe, shall stand firm and take action. So the first thing is we need to believe. Maintain your belief in God. Know who your God is. Recall back to his power. Remember that was the first point that I mentioned. 
Refer back to his power. Over all things, believe. And then stand firm. Those are the same words that Paul uses in Ephesians chapter 6. And we can stand firm because of this. Matthew 28, I'm sorry, Matthew 10, verse 28, Jesus says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's how we stand firm. And that's what we're called to do. That's what they were, that's what the angel said was going to happen. Some of the believers were going to do this. Some of the Jews were going to do this. The third thing, and a very important thing, is to teach. Or one of our assignments is to teach. Verse 33, And the wise among the people shall make many understand. The wise among the people shall make many understand. This is related back to um, the sword of the Spirit that, we're see, that we see in Ephesians chapter 6. I was mentioning the whole armor of God. Paul says in verse 17, Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. It's the only offensive piece of armor that God gives to his people, that, that's given here. The only offensive weapon. It's the word of God to teach and to lead people to the gospel. Okay? So the third thing there is to teach, and that also continues to pass down the word of God by doing that. Deuteronomy says that that's what families should be doing. Husbands and wives and train their kids to lead, to lead them into understanding the word of God. To teach. And the last thing here that I want to mention is pray. When there's nothing else that we can do, we can do one thing. There's really not nothing, right? The one thing we can do is pray. We must pray. Daniel's heart for prayer is one that should challenge us. No matter our age. So remember, Daniel was in his late 80s here at this point in time. He, that's probably why he wasn't with the first party to go back to Judah to help rebuild Jerusalem. I'm sure he wanted to, to go back and help build them. But he probably didn't have the strength. This is just Nick, my idea of what was going on with Daniel. We're not specifically told why he didn't go. But it's probably something to do with his age. He prayed. He stayed behind and prayed and mourned and fasted for his people. So if it feels like there's nothing we can do, we can pray. And remember, if anyone knew that God was in control, it was Daniel who knew. Think of everything that he went through in the first eight chapters, the first nine chapters in Daniel. If anyone knew that God was in control, Daniel knew. And he still prayed. He prayed fervently. This idea of prayer is also echoed in Ephesians chapter 6 by Paul. He says, stand firm, there in verse 13, and then later on, he mentions that we need to be praying. Verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit, and with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. We must be praying for God's work to be accomplished. Knowing that it will. We serve an all-powerful God, one who has all of history, past, present, and future, in his hands. That song I love singing to my daughter, he's got the whole world in his hands. He does. And he's in control, regardless of what we want to think, regardless of what man thinks, of what they can accomplish, what we can accomplish. God is in control. Evil spirits will present adversity, and they may even work to delay God's plan, just like the 
evil force, the spiritual force did to the angel in revealing this message to Daniel. But in the end, God will see his plan through to completion. The last thing I want to mention here, I want you to remember, recall back to what Christ's words were on the cross, specifically from John chapter 19, verse 30. Satan thought he had put an end to the Son of God when Jesus was hanging on the cross. But in John 19, verse 30, we read that Jesus said three words. It is finished. It is finished. Just before he gave up his spirit. What I'm, the point that I'm making there is the war has already been won. We know who the victor is. It's Jesus. But the end has not yet arrived. There's still more to happen. And we'll touch on that next week. <laughs> the question I leave you with today for you to consider is whose side are you on? Whose side do you want to be on? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this word that you've given to us today. Thank you for the, just revealing to us that you are in control even of the very details of the, of the events that are going on in our lives. You know it all. Your word tells us that you know every hair on our head and you know when every bird dies. It is all in your knowledge. And Father, it is such an honor and a privilege to serve you, to know all of those things, that you are in control of it all. And we can trust and rely in you. I thank you for giving this word to Daniel so that we could see it today, to be encouraged by it, and to know how to live for you, um, even in our present day and age. Father, I lift up those who are not with us here today for whatever reason. I pray that you would give them strength, give them health, um, keep them safe, and bring us back again next week so we can finish this uh, series in Daniel and learn more about what you have to say in Daniel chapter 12. In your name I pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.